This morning, God's Word comes to us from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, and we're going to be reading the 24 verses of this chapter. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. 
Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 861 in the back. This is the Belgic Confession, and this morning we look at Article 17. Article 17 of the Belgic Confession entitled, The Recovery of Fallen Man. We believe that our good God, by his marvelous wisdom and goodness, seeing that man had plunged himself in this manner into both physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, set out to find him, though man, trembling all over, was fleeing from him. And he comforted him promising to give him his son, born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make him blessed. This is our confession of faith. Well, this morning we come to the last of the four articles in the Belgic Confession that deal directly with the creation and fall of mankind. We have seen that man is created in the image of God. Man was created with a free will able to obey God or not to obey God. We know that Adam chose not to follow the law of God and plunged himself and plunged all humanity into sin. We have talked about God's electing love toward fallen mankind. God demonstrating himself to be both merciful and just. Merciful in choosing to save some of fallen mankind and bring them to heaven just in leaving the others exactly where they wanted to be, away from God. This morning, our topic is the recovery of fallen mankind, how God actively seeks out His fallen creation. When we think of Genesis 3, we often think of Genesis 3 as the chapter about the fall. And in fact, in my Bible, there is a little italics title over Genesis 3, and it says, The Fall. And it's true, this chapter does recount for us uh, the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. It is one of the most tragic chapters in all of Scripture. But it is much more than that. It is not only a chapter about the fall of mankind. It is a chapter already at the beginning of Scripture about the glorious grace of God. A chapter about a God who who will not let His fallen creation simply go away, but a God who actively seeks to save that which was lost. It's a beautiful chapter about God and His grace toward fallen mankind. It does recall the fall. Verse 1, 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. It's about a serpent, children, about a snake, but not a regular snake. This snake was, was the devil himself. As the devil's going to come and have a conversation with God's creation. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The devil comes and he talks with Eve and he questions the word of God. That's where he begins. He questions God's word. Did God actually say this? And, and he questions God's word in such a way that it, it twists the word of God, which is no surprise because the devil's a liar. He has always been a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. He takes God word, God's word and he, he twists it just a bit and he challenges that word and makes it seem like, like God is somehow being miserly. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. They're living in this beautiful garden with all these trees and all this wonderful food. Did God say you can't eat of any of this? And he questions in such a way that makes God seem unfair. That makes God seem miserly. It makes God seem unloving. That's the way he comes and he, he, he talks with Eve in this conversation. And, and, and Satan continues that same tactic today. He has not changed. He continues to come and, and challenge the Word of God and, and make it seem like God is being stingy. Make it seem like God is keeping us from something really great. Did God really say that marriage is to be only between one man and one woman? Isn't that, isn't that restrictive? Couldn't we expand on that in some way? God's keeping you from enjoying something more. Did God really say that, that when a man and a woman marry, they are to be married for life? Isn't that restrictive? What if there's somebody else you find later? Isn't God somehow keeping you from, from a fuller joy? When God comes to you and he says, the Lord's day is to be kept holy. Remember it and keep it holy. The whole day? The entire day? But there's so many other things we could do. So much fun we could have. Isn't God trying to restrict us a bit? Satan has not changed his tactic. He still comes and he, he challenges the word of God. How does Eve respond? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, touch it lest you die. Eve engages in the conversation. She begins to fall for Satan's trick. She... she quotes what God has told them, but then she goes beyond what God has told them. We may not eat of this particular tree, nor may we touch it. She's playing into his hand, making God seem like he's so restrictive. God hadn't said they couldn't touch the tree. She engages in the conversation. 
she begins to believe that perhaps God is holding them back in some way. God is keeping them from some greater joy. Her response should have been, the word of the Lord is true, and that is where I put my trust. But she begins to consider other possibilities. Maybe there is something out there that is better And how does the serpent respond? Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He began by challenging God's word, and now he outright denies God's word. God had said, you will surely die. Satan says, you will not surely die. He outright denies what God has said. This will not happen. In fact, in fact, he says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He holds out this sin and makes it look so much better than obedience. If you do this, it will be the best thing that has ever happened to you and makes the sin look so enticing and makes obedience seem so ridiculous. Why would I follow this simple rule when this is so much better? And and Eve begins to consider what that would be like. She saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And it was desired to make one wise. She begins to look at the tree and she begins to consider, what would this be like? What would it be if I I decided to go down this road? And she considers how that sin, which seemed uh, to be that which would make her wise and good and like God, that that might be a better blessing than obedience for her. What does she do? She took some of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. The promise was that things would be great. The promise was that this is the best thing you will ever experience. What was the reality? The eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. They recognized immediately that this sin which was held out as as a thing of joy, as a thing of delight, turned upon them immediately. And they recognized they were naked. Now contrast that with the end of chapter 2. The end of the chapter 2, we have the man, the woman in the garden, and the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. They had beautiful fellowship together. Now what's the first thing they do? They try to hide from each other. They sow fig leaves. They, 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 they put distance between each other. Sin, sin broke their relationship with each other, and sin broke their relationship with God. He would come in verse 8, walking in the garden, and where it seems like before they would have wonderful fellowship with God, now the man and the wife hide themselves. Sin breaks their relationship. Their relationship with each other, their relationship 
with God. And the same is true today. Sin breaks relationship. It brings brokenness. It brings hurt. The devil says, this will make you feel better. This will make your life more exciting. It is a lie. Anything that takes us away from obedience to the Word of God will not make our life better. No matter what the devil tempts us with, no matter how wise we're going to be, how great we're going to feel, it is a lie. Adam and Eve, rather than focusing on God, rather than looking at Him alone, began to look at the sin and desire it and consider it and commit it. Brokenness, hurt, heartache, that would lead to death. Yes, that is the tragedy of what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis, the tragedy of the fall. But that's only the first few verses. What does God do in light of that tragic fall? Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, kids, why did God say, where are you? Didn't, didn't God know where Adam and Eve were? Why does God come and say, where are you? Of course God knew. But God calls to Adam for Adam's sake. That, that, that Adam might know God is still actively seeking him. He was now like God, knowing good and evil, and he knew what he did was evil. But God still comes, and God seeks after him. God comes to, to talk with Adam that Adam might, might acknowledge what he has done. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And God says, another question, who told you you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, didn't God know the answer? Yes, he did. But he is calling forth confession from Adam. That Adam might confess his sin and there be restoration and reconciliation. That is not what Adam does. Even though God comes and calls, what have you done? Adam does not confess. In fact, Adam passes the buck. Verse 12, Adam says, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave to me. She's the one who's responsible. So God talks to the woman. What is this you have done? And the woman, following the lead of her husband, blames someone else. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's not my fault. They, 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 they refuse to acknowledge their own sinfulness, refuse to confess their sins. It's somebody else's problem. And don't we see that today as well? I mean, isn't that what we see in society? A failure to take responsibility for our own actions. We see that in our own lives. 
We see where we fail to take responsibility for our own sin. It, it just happened. It was the situation. It was just the way things went. It wasn't me. That's not me. It is me. Fallen, sinful, choosing against the law of God. Adam and Eve both fail to confess their sins. They both blame someone else. Rather than confess that would bring restoration, they push the blame somewhere else. It wasn't me, it was the woman. Woman says it wasn't me, it was the serpent. And so God speaks to the serpent, verse 14. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. God curses the serpent. God pronounces a curse for the rest of his life. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You're cursed above all the livestock, above all the animals that have been created. And you can almost... Imagine Adam and Eve waiting for God's word of curse to them. They knew what they had done. They knew they disobeyed him. So God begins with the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock. What does God say when he speaks to the man? Verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. God doesn't curse his son. He had cursed the serpent. Cursed is the ground because of you. And to the woman. I, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. But no curse. No curse upon Adam and Eve. Oh, there would be punishment. But not like the punishment of the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock. No for Adam, cursed is the ground. For Eve, you will have this increase in pain, this increase in, in desire for your husband, but he'll rule over you. For, for Adam and Eve, there was this, this glimmer of hope. The serpent is cursed. Adam is not cursed. Eve is not cursed. In fact, God says in verse 15 to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. An enmity between the serpent and mankind, an enmity between the devil and God's children. An enmity that would continue throughout time. But, but an enmity that, that still gave hope to Adam and Eve for you, between you and your offspring. Your offspring is going to bruise the serpent's head. And the most he can do is bruise your heel. That's the contrast being made here. A head blow or simply a strike to the heel. 
It was not, it was not the offspring, Cain and Abel, that were being referred to. No, they would continue the enmity. In fact, one killing the other. It was their greater offspring, their greater son, Jesus Christ, who would come and firmly crush the head of the serpent. His definitive blow. This text is about so much more than the fall, the fall into sin. It is about the announcement and the promise of the gospel. That God would send an answer to those first eight verses. God would send an answer to the fall that took place. And that answer would be in the form of his own son, Jesus Christ, who would come and firmly defeat the serpent, the devil. Give him that death blow to the head. Oh, the enmity still rages today. The enmity going on between the followers of Satan and the followers of Christ. But we know that Jesus Christ has the victory. The the serpent simply strikes at the heel. That's all he can do. But Christ has crushed his head. Christ is the victor. And it is that victor who, who we are called to put our trust in, our faith in. The one who was promised already in Genesis chapter 3. The one who would come to defeat the serpent, the devil. It is he who calls you today to put your faith and hope and trust in him. Adam Adam put his faith in the word of God. We read in verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Adam, hearing this word of of comfort, God would send someone, an offspring who would defeat Satan. He names his wife. He names her Eve. Kids, Eve means life. They had just heard the punishment of God. They had heard that, that Eve would have her pain multiplied in childbearing. In pain will you bring forth children. They had just heard that Adam, by the sweat of his brow, would do his work. But Adam doesn't name his wife Moat, Death. He names his wife Eve, Life. Because they believed the promise of God that he would send this this defeater of the serpent, this defeater of Satan. And then then God not only gives them this wonderful word of promise and assurance and comfort, but God cares for them. In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Uh, Genesis 3, 21, we could have a whole sermon just on that verse. We won't do that right now this morning. Uh, But it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, garments of skins. That means, kids, that blood was shed. Blood was shed so that their nakedness could be covered. Adam had tried to provide coverings, fig leaves, insufficient. God does what Adam simply could not do, provide a proper covering. Man's efforts were too weak. It would take the work of God to have Adam and Eve clothed. And we see that just a beautiful picture of Christ and what he does for us. All of our sins are removed, and we are now clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that which we could not do. We could attempt, but we could not. Christ's righteousness clothing each and every one of God's children. 
God clothes them, and then, finally, the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the garden from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God's final act is to send Adam and Eve out of the garden. And as I have said before, that must have looked like Adam and Eve as more punishment. This must be more punishment from God. But it was for their blessing. They had fallen into sin. And lest they now reach out and take of the fruit of the tree of life and be forever confirmed in that condition, God says, I won't let that happen. I will, I, I will send you away from the tree of life. In fact, I'm going to guard the entrance of the tree of life. So you cannot be confirmed in your sin. Sending them out was part of God's care and God's blessing to them. And God, God does the same for us today. There are times when it, it seems like God is punishing us by, by, by doing certain things in our lives, but God ultimately has our best in mind. And, and He will put distance between us and that which would confirm us in our sin. It may look like punishment, but it is for our blessing. A glorious, a glorious text, Genesis chapter 3. Not, not just the text about the fall. The text about the promise of the answer to the fall. The promise of a Savior, of a Redeemer, a reminder of a God who seeks and who saves that which was lost. Not allowing Adam and Eve to be confirmed in their sin but giving them the promise of a Savior and in the fullness of time, sending that Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the God who we still serve today, the God who till, continues to seek and to save each and every one of His own, the God in whom we rejoice and praise Him for His glorious work of salvation, doing what we could not do and seeking us out. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for this beautiful text, a text which perhaps for many of us is quite familiar, but a text that reminds us of your grace, of your mercy, of your compassion. You did not leave Adam and Eve in that sinful condition. You did not allow them to be confirmed in that condition, but you made a promise, and you fulfilled that promise in your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord God, Adam and Eve were hiding from you and you came and sought them and you still do the same today, seeking and saving each and every one of your own. Oh, we praise you for your glorious work of salvation. Hear our prayer, oh God. For Jesus' sake, amen.